This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start to go to Parshas Akev 5782. The Pusik is a Pusik that I actually say every single morning. It's one that um, in the Sidra Elios Elio says that one should say every single day to remind themselves what happened in the Midbar. So it's Zacharta, Ches. Base parachas pasuk base v'zacharta as kol adar shalicha Hashem lekach hazar boim shana pamibor you should remember the whole road that a kadosh baruch brought you for these forty years in the desert l'mana noscha it was to afflict you l'nasoscha to test you l'das zasher bilvavcha to know what's in your heart hasishmor mitzvos savim lo are you going to keep God's mitzvos or not v'ancha v'yaribecha he afflicted you he he made you starve. And he fed you the man that you never knew about, nor your fathers. So you should know that it's not just on bread alone that a person lives, but rather on all the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's how a person lives. There is so much in these two psukim. I'm going to be able to pull out some things from it, but that's why it's six pages instead of the usual three and a half or four. Right? This is a lot of stuff altogether. And for those that don't have it, again, it's on, I sent it to the WhatsApp group. So it's on there. If you need it, just ask the guy next to you to just send it right to you. Nobody likes being tested. That's obvious, right? Every day we say the words Veloli de Nisayon. We don't want to be tested. It's in our last, the big bracha. And even some of the Amorayim and brachos, Tafheim Abayi, said, Lohain Veloscharan. We don't want Yisurin. We don't want them. We don't want the reward that we get for having Yisurin. That's really hard for everybody. Everybody is in trouble when it comes to stuff like that. No one likes this. Nonetheless, a Nisayon is necessary. For various reasons. And here are some of them. Here are some of the reasons why it might be okay. Now the Ramban says something amazing. He says the purpose of testing us and seeing us do mitzvos was to show not only, I, I guess, that when we do HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will, when we do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to do, he will take care of us. That throughout the Midbor, we were sitting in a land that shouldn't have had anything. There shouldn't have been anything there. There would have been no water, obviously, no food, no people around there. Everything would have been perfectly fine. And yet, we had the clouds protecting us. We had the dangerous animals that all went away. The snakes and scorpions being destroyed by those lasers that were right in front of the Aron Kodesh. And much more. They went into, without any guarantees, it's lechtech acharei ba Midbor ba'eretz lozrua. They come after me, he said. In the Midbor, Asher Lozrua, that wasn't planted, that didn't have anything there. And for the most part, they passed it beautifully. Yes, we know about the ten complaints that they had throughout the Midbor. The ten times when something went wrong. But for 40 years in a Midbor, in a desert with nothing there, living in tents. You're living in a tent with 10 to 12 kids. That's what you're doing. And the people not complaining, for the most part, was a way of them passing an unbelievable test. And it showed them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take care of us. And that's going to be basically the theme of the entire shir. That no matter what we do, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to take care of us. No matter what we need, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make sure that that's given to us. So the Miyam Loez says there are three reasons why HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want us traveling through inhabited lands. Instead of going through the Derech Plishtim, instead of sending us through city to city to city, he specifically made us stay in desert areas outside of the cities. Number one, to empty the body, to empty our physical beings out of things, the, all the terrible things that we learned to do while we were sitting as slaves in Mitzrayim. There are things that we're used to living in cities that we just can't handle. I just told somebody that one of the best things about coming back from Eretz Yisrael this summer was being back in my bed. And I immediately 
punched myself in the face for saying it. Yes, I was sleeping on an Israeli mattress. That's true. That's 100% true. But I'm so used to a certain way of going to sleep that anything that changes, it changes my whole life. I can't do it. I can't sleep that way. I just, I, I couldn't do it that way. That's exactly what the problem is. So sending them through the midboard sent that message to them that you don't need all this stuff. You don't need everything. You can live without it. You can get yourselves off it. So it's almost like a drug that they're releasing themselves from. You did everything that you had without any avodas Hashem. This is getting them used to concentrating on the relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is so important. It's not just about, I wake up in the morning and I go and I drink my coffee. It's I wake up in the morning and I have to dive into a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It becomes a part of their lives where without it, they wouldn't know what they would be or where they would go. That's number one. Number two is Linasoscha is interesting. The word nace obviously means miracle, but it also means a flag. What that means is, is that it sort of raised the flag of their nation. People knew who they were. People would see them as the special nation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When they get their great gifts that they're supposed to get from Hashem, which includes Eretz Yisrael, and not just in the future with Mashiach, but at that time, when they had the Beis HaMikdash, when things would be around, they should be recognized as the chosen nation. They should be seen that there's something, somebody special. And because of that, Lenasoscha is purposely to make them separate from everybody else, to make people realize they are different. That's number two. And number three, to show this exactly, show you what you need and what you want. There are certain things that you need, certain things that you want. You'll understand that when a Kaddish Baruch Hu seems to ignore you, it's because of something that you wanted as opposed to what you need. What you truly need versus what you truly want. The Malbim adds on something. The Abarbanel adds another two reasons to it. And then Tziv says another reason for it. But those are the basic ideas that are brought down from the Amloes for us going to the Midbar itself. Now, Rabbi Yitzhak Zilbershim brought down from Rav Nachum of Aradna. He's explaining a Gemara in Brachos, Tav Samach Ahmed Aleph. You probably have heard this Gemara before, Samach Ahmed Aleph, that Hillel knew when he heard a scream in the town, somebody was screaming in the town that he was going to, he said, I know that's not from my house. That can't be from my house. Why? Seemingly, the idea behind it is, is that he knew nothing bad would happen to him. Nothing bad would happen to him. He was assured that a Kaddish Baruch would not let anything bad happen to him. That's how it seems to learn from the Gemara itself. But there's something so much more to this Gemara. It's, again, it's from Rav Nachum of Haradna. It was told over from the Chafetz Chaim, who was one of the Talmud of Rav Nachum. And Rav Yitzhak Zobershin said it over in his name. And he said the following. He says, certain people teach the people of their household that if something bad happens, it's not really bad. It's part of the plan of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And even the children grow up knowing that when something bad happens, it's not bad. It's all good. It's a kol litova. It's kol davarachman litavavid. People teach their kids this. Hillel taught his wife and his kids and the people of his household, whoever was around, that everything is for the good, that nothing could be bad. If something bad would happen, even if it would be bad, Nobody would scream about it. Nobody would scream. It wouldn't be something that you could scream about. You'd say, okay, it's obviously bad. It's not something that I wanted for myself. And nonetheless, this is what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants. So it has something good to it. I can't scream about it because what's screaming going to do? When he heard a scream that came out from the area around him, from that house, he knew this couldn't be from my house. Not that nothing bad would happen to him. But even if it was, nobody would ever scream.
Isn't that an unbelievable way of looking at that Gemara? And he said, that's the idea, so he uses over Shin, of understanding something. Rabnachum of Aradna lost 20 children in his lifetime. I just want you to think about that for a second. Rabnachum of Aradna, 20 children. The worst thing that can happen to a person, he used to say, is when a person feels lost as if he's forsaken by a Kaddish Baruch Yeah, it looks bad. Yeah, it looks horrible. And at the time, obviously, it doesn't mean that at a funeral you don't, have to, you don't cry because this isn't bad. It's truly good from a Kaddish Baruch Of course you cry. But you understand that it's all part of that plan of a Kaddish Baruch something that I'm never going to understand. If I could understand, what was the line that, that the, um, Rav Halberstam used to say? It was... A God that I can understand, I don't want. That's the line that he used to say. It's a scary thought to think about, but that's exactly what it refers to. Okay, next point. Rashi says, keeping God's mitzvos, lishmor mitzvosav, means not to test a Kaddish Baruch Hu, as well as not being maharar not even thinking about it afterward. That if a Kaddish Baruch Hu does something to you, that clearly, again, was meant to be. Accept what was supposed to happen. Think to yourself that there's no way HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have done something wrong. The Sifsei Chachamim. Now this is from the Mizrahi and the Gorarie. Originally, Sifsei Chachamim says, the Rashi's issue is, why would somebody keeping mitzvos, why would that happen because Hashem heard him? The wording of the Pasuk is weird, right? It says, Will you keep my mitzvos if I afflict you? That's not when you do keep the mitzvos. You would keep the mitzvos because HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows you love in some way. But what does this mean exactly? It means the keeping the mitzvos is, are you willing to keep yourself quiet? When something bad happens, and you know it's bad, and you know it's bad, and it's super hard to understand it, are you willing to keep yourself quiet, or are you going to kick back and say, God is so unfair, are you going to say something back? There's an unbelievable story of the Kutzker, and I actually said it over last week in Shoal. I said it, that the Kutzker would not accept money from most people. The Kutzker was the Rebbe of the Gera Rebbe. He was the third generation, fourth generation of the Hasidim from the Baal Shem Tov. And he wouldn't accept people, money from most people. He accepted money in order to give it out to Tzedakah. But for himself, he wouldn't take because he didn't want to have anything to do with anything that had a Shemitz of Ribison and a Shemitz of Gezela. He didn't want anything to do with anybody. There were a select few Hasidim that the Kutzka Rebbe allowed himself to make his Parnassah from, that they would pay him for the right to give the Rebbe, you know, some type of money. He would take from certain people, and that was it. At one point, it was one Hasid who was giving him a check every single month. He would bring him a certain amount at one point in the month. He would give him that money, and the Hasid would give it over to him. And this Hasid was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a very, very big tzaddik. He made a lot of money, and he would bring a certain amount to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would use that for himself, and that's that. One month, he brought his money over to the Rebbe, to the Kutzka Rebbe, and the Rebbe said no. He wouldn't take it. So the Chassid was obviously upset. He went home and he was mefashish b'maisav. He thought to himself, what did I do wrong? Did I do anything wrong? Did I do anything that was off? That could make him do this? What happened? He couldn't find anything. So he went back to the Rebbe. He said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I, I don't understand. Did I do something wrong to you? Did I do something that made you not want to give me the money? And the Kutzka Rabbi said, you did nothing. But here's the deal with me. There are, every single person has a Siba for their Parnassa. A Siba means a reason for their Parnassa to happen. So when a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants to test, do you believe that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving you Parnassa? Or do you believe in the Siba giving you Parnassa? Are you believing in your job? Or are you trusting in HaKaddish Baruch Hu? 
right? So HaKadosh Baruch wants to know, what do you think? So what will he do? He'll cause you, Chas Shalom, to lose the Siba. If you don't show that you truly believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you, it looks like you believe in your job, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take away the Siba. So the, the, the Kutzker said, look, my Siba is you. You are my Siba. You're my reason for Parnas. I'm getting all my money from you. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to test me, he's going to take away your money. He's going to make you poor. And then he's going to look at me and see, am I going to be able to handle the test? Well, I believe, says the Kutzker, that I'll be okay. And he said, I don't want you to lose your money because of me. I don't want you to lose everything because you're my Siba. He said, instead, said the Kutzker, I'm doing it myself. I'm saying no to you. I'm saying no to you. I'm not taking your money. Right? And I'm positive that a Baruch Hu is still going to give me the money. I still, hold on. So the guy looks at, looks at the Kutzker and he says, Rebbe, it's my pleasure to give you this money. I want to give you this money. And if that means that a Baruch Hu has to make me poor, then so be it. I accept that upon myself. I'm the Kabbalah upon myself to make sure that I support you every single month. And if that means that I'm going to lose everything, I'm willing to lose everything to be your supporter. That's what he told the Kutzker. So Kutzker said, I- I'm still not going to take it. He eventually begged and begged and begged. The Kutzker took the money. And the Chassid lost everything. Chassid lost absolutely everything. He ended up taking a job as a Rav in another town. He was still a big town of this guy. But because he lost everything, he took a job as a Rav in another town, right? And in the end, the Kutzker Rebbe, I'm sure he got his Parnassah from somewhere else. Then I'll believe story too, what are we going to ask? So the Kutzker Rebbe only learned that at this point? At some point, he realized that he was putting too much faith in the Chassid's money, expecting it, so to speak. And, and that's the crazy part. I don't know what that means with the job. What does that mean? Well, one day I go up to, I don't know, to the shoal, and I'm just like, don't pay me this month. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to take care of it. I have no idea. Then again, on the other hand, I'm not the Kutzker. I don't know if normal people can pass that type of test very well. The Kutzker probably could, but I'm not sure I can. But that's maybe the reason why I have three jobs. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's the next part of the story. You know, like the next part of the story goes through. It's such an unbelievable thing. But that's one. A Talmud Chacham once approached Rabbi Yitzhak Zobrashin and he told him, right, that a few years ago something terrible had happened. He was fired from his teaching position for no apparent reason. Something that he couldn't understand what had happened. And at the same time, his wife was also fired from her position as well. So the whole family, there was no parnasa coming in. It was on the same day. On the same day. So that day, he was in Zichra Moshe. Those who know the Shul Zichra Moshe, right, near Geula. So he went to the Shul Zichra Moshe, and he saw a certain Roshiva there, and he went over to the Roshiva. They told the Roshiva, I don't know what to do. I feel, I, I feel lost. I lost my job. My wife lost her job. On the same day, no less. What are we supposed to do with ourselves? How do we do it? So the Rosh Shiva pulled over. He said to him, go get me a Mishnaburah Chelek Aleph. So he brought him a Chelek Aleph Mishnaburah and he opened up to Chelek Aleph, Simen Aleph, Sif Katan Yud Gimel in the Mishnaburah. This is what he did, Sif Katan Yud Gimel. And he read it out loud to him. The Mishnaburah there says the following. He says, Riboy Hishtablus, the more Hishtablus, the more you try, does absolutely nothing. Rather, listen to this, he should say every single day, Parshas Haman, with Kavana. That's in your sitter. Everybody has Parshas Haman in their sitter. Say Parshas Haman with Kavana. Think about what you're saying. And this is what he says. Muftach lo shlo yismatu mizonoso. You're guaranteed you will not lose your mizonos. 
People run around looking for eitzes, segulas, all these things, said this Rosh Hashiva to this man, to this younger man. But the Chavetz Chaim said the simplest thing. The simplest thing. And he says, the Chavetz Chaim is not a schooler guy. He's not a schooler guy. That's not what he does. And yet he says, Muftachlo, if you say such a thing, that's that. The next morning, this young man did exactly that. He was approached that day not by one, but by two different representatives from two different yeshivas asking him to get a job, a better paying position, and a better position than he had held before. The same thing happened to his wife. I don't know, she didn't go to shul, but she probably had something happen to her in some way. But what a haftacha. Is that a crazy thing? And again, I, I never... Listen, if you tell me that a Rebbe got up and said, read Parsha Zaman with Kavon every single day and you'll get it. I can hear that. Tami Minagim says it. I totally understand it. The Chavetz Chaim is saying it in the Mishnah of Brura, L'Halacha, that that's what a person should do. So there are no other Shilohs when it comes to stuff like that. You put your Avtacha in a Kaddish Baruch I wonder, by the way, is like the Parsha Zaman the Siba and that I believe in Parsha Zaman more than I believe in God. But obviously, I think, if you're doing Parsha Zaman, you probably understand that God's the one that wrote the Torah. So I would assume that that's good enough to be able to do. It's something that everybody should do. I don't understand why we wouldn't do it. It's an unbelievable thing. Okay, then we get to the next part of the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Linasosa, that a Kaddish Baruch is coming to test you. What kind of test did they undergo? So the Sforno says, are they willing to follow the Ratzon Hashem after being given everything miraculously? Again, they had clothing, they had shelter, they had food, they had water. They had everything without any pain whatsoever, without trying. Granted, some people had to walk to go get the mun. There were some people who had to walk a little bit further to go get them out. But for the most part, they had nothing to do. Nothing to do. Everything was just mamish put into their hands themselves. That way, they would have a desire to be closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They would try their hardest. Until now, it had been Bilvavecha in their hearts. But now you should show it outside. And then even the Malachim will know that you're a truly special HaKadosh Baruch special nation. You deserved everything Hashem gave them. Now, I know that sounds a little counterintuitive. If God gave me everything, of course I would love God. Isn't that obvious? What nation wouldn't do that? But the truth is, we know that's not true. The more I get, the more I think it's me. So I don't care that it's the Mun and the Be'er Shomirim and Ananiya Kavod, that it, it seems miraculous. The more you get used to it, the more natural that seems. And as time goes on, you're not going to have that closeness to a Kaddish Baruch that you once did. Maybe you will the first time, but then as time goes on, if I got a job miraculously and it came in some crazy, crazy manner that never could have happened otherwise, the first day I'm going to thank God in my motive. The next day I'm going to totally forget about it. That's just the way human beings are. And that's the way this says it. That's what it means, Lenasoscha. Are you are you going to appreciate what a Kurdish Baruch Hu gave you every single time? The Chizkuni and the Rokeh say there's no way that a Kurdish Baruch Hu actually tests someone. That doesn't happen. God doesn't give tests like that. That just doesn't happen in any way, as if he doesn't know what that person's going to do. Says the Chizkuni and the Rokeh, it's done for Midas Adin and Midas Arachman. That a Kurdish Baruch Hu wants to show the Malachim, the Beis and Shomailah, what this guy is like. And the test is not for God, it's for the Beisim, for the Malachim, who do not understand human thoughts or what a person's going to do. It's for them to be able to go ahead. The Alshech speaks about this at length. He has almost two and a half pages speaking about this concept of doing it not for Hashem, but rather testing you for someone, for the Malachim above. And the Aznaim Torah says, he explains it well, Yerusha Sa'aretz, inheriting the land, was totally dependent on them keeping the Torah. The Malachim couldn't understand why Akash Baruch was allowing seven nations to be destroyed, destroyed, annihilated. 
to the, to the, the, the ground. They all had to be killed because of this nation, an unproven, unknown nation. Why these guys? And why not them? Why not anybody else? Therefore, HaKadosh Baruch who tested them for 40 years to show how great they were so that those seven nations could be destroyed. That's the concept based on the Chizkuni and the Rokeach. And I think that goes in really well with this phone. Yeah, Shlomo. I can't answer that question. I can just say it's part of the whole system of how the earth works with Midas Zidane and Midas Arachim and where that test has to take place. It's a great question. Why did HaKadosh Baruch make a world that had tests in it? I, I hear it. I hear it. But I, I can't answer that question. I don't think anybody can answer that question. It's more, I'll, it's even further, God didn't make that world. God made a world with other Marishim before the Chait where everything was awesome. We chose this world where Midas Zidane would come into play where there would be something. But I, I, more than that, I can't say. That gets into a little bit too much. Rabbeinu Bechaya says that the person was to let not the Malachim, but the nations know who we were. And we sort of said this earlier. When it's just Bilva Vecha, if you show it in your heart, they might not know. But when everyone sees it, everybody's going to understand it. The Chavetz Chaim says, as we said before, Nisayon comes the word Nase, which means a flag. It's almost... He- hanging over our heads, showing everybody what we're able to do. And then there's an itziv here as well, but we're not going to go through the itziv itself. Now, what does the Pasuk mean by Laman Anoscha? To afflict you. What's the affliction? Affliction means pain. What kind of pain did they undergo? Think about this for a second. They had the mun. They had a bear show Miriam. They had clouds surrounding them. What kind of pain did they go under? Again, if this would have been B'nai Yisrael sitting in a desert without any of these things, that's pain. But mana noska to afflict you for what? So Rashbam says the Inu is that they never had leftovers. I want you to think about this for a second and honestly consider it. What would it be like if I was not allowed to leave over any money for tomorrow? That every day you have to empty out your bank account. Empty out your bank account every single day. Empty out your cupboards. Everything you have, give away completely. You can't have any food left. Nothing. Your fridge is wide. I don't even know why you'd have a fridge. You don't need anything. You really don't need a kitchen, right? You just have everything empty. And then the next morning, you're guaranteed HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give you food. You couldn't leave over the mon except on Friday night, obviously. You couldn't leave over any mon. The Be'er Shomirim was never guaranteed. It was a river coming from a rock in the middle of the desert. And they couldn't keep it or pick it up in little jars and keep it until the next day. I Actually, I don't know that. I don't know about the Be'er Miriam. I just assume that the Be'er Miriam you weren't allowed to keep until the next day. They had to just have it just like the mud itself. I don't know that. And the clouds, how precarious of a life are you living in where the only way that you're protected from everything around you are clouds. That's it. Clouds surrounding you at all times. They lived a life of pure understanding that tomorrow we have to dive and this is going to happen again. It doesn't even bother me anymore when people ask me, how could B'nai Yisrael complain about the food, about the drinks? I, I don't know how anyone did this. You have 10 kids at home, and they're all screaming at you, Daddy, we're hungry, Daddy, we're hungry. My kid screams at me, Daddy, I'm hungry, after dinner. Like, literally three minutes after dinner's over, I need cake and cookies. Not this guy, the smaller one. But, it, like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. We can go, literally, I, 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 I've heard this before. I've heard tons of people say, after you know, maybe an hour after they ate dinner, I'm starving. I'm starving. You've heard that. You've probably done it. You're not starving. Thank God. None of you have ever starved a day in your life. It's never happened. Thank God. Even fast days where we're sitting there like, oh man, it's you 
stuffed yourself the day before. And we all know that. There has never been a time where you've been like, well, I just had six slices of pizza before this fast started. And pasta. And a lot of drinks. There's no one who's gone into a fast starving. It never happens. Thank God. We are living in such a totally different world. That's Lamana Nosla. We can't even imagine what that's like. We literally can't even imagine. Now, that's one. The Ramban calls that ra'ev, starving. That's literally part of the starving part, not the affliction. It's a different issue, totally different issue. He says that Noscha is walking through the desert for 40 years. You had no idea when you started. You had no idea when you ended. Whenever the trumpets blared, that's when you walked. And you had to go. And then that's it. You just lift up your stuff and you go. Where? You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea. Everyone knows on the way there, it's always way longer than on the way back. And don't give me a ways thing over here. It's 100% true. On the way there always feels like the seconds are ticking off slowly. On the way back, you're like, I've been here before. I can do this. I know exactly where I'm going. It always feels that way. They were going nowhere. Nowhere. They knew they had to be in the midbar for 40 years. And one day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu blew the trumpet and it's like, you're going to another part of the desert now. Why? No reason. No reason at all. You just had to pick up, take all of your stuff, and go. And then pitch your tent somewhere else. That's an Enoi. That's how the Ramban says. That's an unbelievable Enoi. That's affliction. It was tiresome. It was a burden. It felt horrible. The Tasakuni, the Porshor, the Chizkuni, and the Rush, they all say the same. The Igrit, so let's go on. The Chida suggests there was a purpose for that Enoi, by the way. There was a reason why they got afflicted. You're not allowed to benefit from Mycenaeism. You can't benefit from miraculous things. So why were they allowed to eat the Mun? Who gave them permission to eat the Mun? The Mun is purely miraculous. Why was that allowed? The answer is pikuach nefesh. They literally would die without the mun. You're allowed to use mycenisim if you're going to die. And therefore you're allowed to. By the way, as a side note, I know I've seen this question before and I know I've seen another answer for it. I don't have, I have no idea what the other answer is. Simply put, it's a Gemara in Tainus. It's Chof Gimel, I think it is, with Rebbe Lezim ben Bartosa, who sees that there's a ship that's coming from Malachim that's bringing them grain, and he says it's miracle food. Don't use it. He doesn't allow them to use it. And the very next day, a whole other ship comes inside and it brings grain. And that might have been Rava and Rebbe Lezim ben Bartosa was something else. Either way, regardless, it's something that's. It seems so clear that they shouldn't have been able to use the mud. But if you're going to die otherwise, you're allowed to use it. That seems to be the idea behind it. Okay. So the next part, what's Vayari Vecha? That they were starving. When were they starving? What kind of starvation were they dealing with? The Ramban says the answer that we just gave, that Rashbam, right? That they were starving and that they had no idea what they were going to eat the next day. So that starvation was there. The Ibn Ezra gives three answers. Says either before the month fell, he made you starve before you get the mun, which makes sense, right? Before the mun fell, they were probably super hungry. He says, number two, even when they had the mun, he suggests that the mun was a very light food that didn't fill their stomachs. So they were all starving. You always were hungry because you didn't have anything filling up that stomach inside. You were taken care of. Your needs were taken care of. You had all the nutrients you needed and the vitamins you needed to survive, but you were never full. Now that's, that's kind of a curse. Think about that for a second, to have that. To me, even though the Ibn Ezra himself rejects that answer, and he says a third answer, and there are others that totally hate that answer, the Rabbeinu Bakai also doesn't like that answer, to me, that sounds like the right answer. What was the mun? It wasn't food. It was spiritual something that looked like coriander seeds, tiny little coriander seeds. You just ate a ton of it, 
and it went into your stomach and you didn't even go to the bathroom. Nothing remained. It just got absorbed into the rest of your body. I can't imagine it filled up their stomachs and made them feel full. I would assume they were always hungry. I would assume they were going through the midbar entirely hungry. The Chafetz Chaim says that, and Rav Victor Miller talks about it as well. It makes the most sense. And the Ibn Ezra rejects it out of hand. He says, no, it must be that the man filled them up because the man was supposed to taste like anything they wanted. That's true, but that wasn't something easy. Yeah. There's no question, you're 100% right, Shalom, you're, you're making an unbelievable point. Moshe Rabbeinu made the first bracha of benching, of birchas hazanes ha'olam kulo b'tivo b'chem b'chazrachim. That was made by Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara tells us. If they had that bracha, clearly they benched on the man. So the man must have been v'savata. So it did satisfy them. My only question is, and this is part of a whole question that's in the Chavetzel, Sharon, and the parties Yosef, is satisfaction, when it comes to this, does that mean that you feel full or that you've gotten what you've needed? And I don't know what the answer is to that. I, you know, there, there was a National Geographic Kids years ago. It never happened, obviously, but I think it was in the 2010, like early 2010s, where they claimed that the Chinese were working on these strawberries that they were injecting with all the, nu- the essential nutrients and vitamins that a person needed, that if you just ate this strawberry, you would have everything you needed for the entire day. And I always wondered about that, by the way. Like when it says in like these cereal boxes, you have 100% calcium, 100% vitamin D. There are certain, and then you have like cocoa pebbles, like negative 20%, like it takes away. Like I always wondered, why couldn't they, if they're able to put all these vitamins in, why not just give you one piece of food that has all the vitamins in it? Yeah. So it's got that, and it has everything. But does it have a hundred percent of every vitamin yeah. and mineral you need yeah. for the rest of the day? Yeah. Why don't people do so? Obviously, it does. But I, why can't they make it good tasting? So so I I think that's it. I think we like food too much. Yeah, I think we like food too much, right? That's too much. Like somebody's asking me the other day, how do I lie to myself about eating white sugar as if I didn't know that white sugar was bad for me? I know white sugar is bad for me. I love chocolates. There's nothing I can do about that for right now. At some point, I will be able to say to myself, I don't need chocolate to survive. You know what? I can say that right now. I don't need chocolate to survive. I need chocolate to be happy. I don't want to be that person who's going around not eating chocolate and pretending to be happy. I'm not there yet. That person pretends to be happy. He's not. He's not. He doesn't look happy ever, ever. But he's super, super healthy. I hear you. I, I don't know. I hear it. So I guess that's the idea behind this as well. I guess the man just took care of it. And I don't know if that answers your question, Tlomo, but sort of. The sabata might be that it fulfilled their daily requirement needs. And would that apply to this as well, even though they didn't feel full? But again, I don't even know. The Ibn Ezra again rejects this. He rejects it out of hand. He says that's not it. And then the third answer he gives, right? He says, is the Midrash Rabbah, uh, where is this? I'm sorry, I, I even quoted, right, right, right. Midrash Rabbah Koelis that says there were two cucumbers. One was missing a bit of the top and being sold for half the price. It was just missing a tiny little bit. But it's sold for half the price. Why? Because you have to see the food to appreciate the food. And you miss a little bit of it, and all of a sudden it's half price. And that's part of our food issue. Our food issue is we love food. We love being involved with food. And the third answer, he says, is that they were starved of other foods when they received the month. So again, the three answers they've been asked before they got the month 
once they got them on the mum didn't fill them, or they were starved of other foods. You couldn't have anything else. And we see that Bnei Yisrael, the problem with that, eventually got to them, and they said they wanted onions and garlic and all the other things that they used to have in Mitzrayim. It's clear that they had that at one point, and that's that. Kilas Moshe says that's exactly what the challenge was. In order to learn Torah properly, we're told to eat pas b'melech tochal and keton shamayim. It's a Mishnah, Perkyav was in Perik Vav, Mishnah Dalit. It says you're supposed to have a little bit of bread and a little bit of water, and that's good enough to be able to go through. Were the people allowing the mun to taste like pas and mayim? Or were they imagining other things as well? Which I assume they did, and they thought other things into the mun, which meant they were giving in to their base desires and having things in mind that they shouldn't have had, abusing the privilege that was given to them. There are times, by the way, where I will have as breakfast only bread and water. <laughs> only bread and water to be accomplished this once in a while. You know, like once a week. It's usually Wednesday breakfast at Skokie Yeshiva, which is usually either it's the, it's the scrambled eggs or the... What's that other thing they serve? The matzah brai thing, right? Usually then I'm like, today I'll do bread and water. It's never on pancake day, <laughs> never. It's never on pancake day where I go bread and water, where I'm just like, I want to give in, right? It's over that. It's, it's terrible during Baha, by the way, because Thursdays are our pancake day, and those Thursdays are the fast days for Baha. Oh my gosh, well, what do you, what's a person supposed to do? <laughs> it's probably the worst, worst, terrible, absolutely terrible. I told them they should switch it to Wednesdays, but... What can you do, right? I'm just one person. The I'm sober. I could also get over it, but I'm not. The you could take them in prison. Yeah, no. <laughs> not, if it's not fresh off the grill, the griddle. That's why I go late to breakfast. So the, the ones that are just coming off the griddle are the ones that I'm being served, right? Not taking the old ones that were made three hours ago. You've got to be smart about this, Avi. Come on. So either way, so Chsam Sofer in Torah's Moshe says, hunger started when Adam Marishon ate from the Eitz Adas. From that point on, he was required to eat something physical to fill that void that he was missing that didn't exist before. So here, they were allowed to have something spiritual to do so, especially because they're coming from Harsinai, where technically they were allowed to be in a different state. They were in a totally different state at this point. They were allowed to be somewhere different, and that's what it was. Okay, there's an Orachayim HaKadosh here, but we don't have that much time. There's also a Ramosha. This Ramosha repeats itself. It's in six different places in Darash Moshe throughout the Chumash, in which he says the following. He says, had they not asked, they wouldn't have even noticed. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Where Moshe says, they complained that they were hungry, so they were given the mun. They asked for water, so they were given the water. Says Ramosha, why didn't Hashem start off with that? Why not give them mun so they didn't complain? Why not give them water so they wouldn't ask for anything? They were, they were being tested for what? They were being afflicted for what? Says Ramosha, on purpose. If they wouldn't have said anything, if they would have been silent, and said, okay, this is what Hashem wants. They would never have noticed their hunger. The hunger would have gone away. And their thirst would have gone away. And for 40 years, they would have been like the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai, in which he didn't ask for food. So he didn't need food. He didn't ask for water. So he didn't need water. He survived for 40 days and 40 nights without anything. And Ben Esau would have survived for 40 years and for, 40 years and 40 years, right? Without anything. It would have been that. I'm sorry? Possibly, if they weren't like that, and they wouldn't have complained whatsoever, it would have been there. It would have been there. Yeah, Shlomo. Yeah, it, it's Vayashkis be rum, but it's clear. It seems like that was only because of what happened. They weren't complaining about the animals, but they had to feed the animals first. Although by water, we all know that humans come before animals. 
right? But clearly something was there when it comes to that. The Rabbeinu Bechayi says this is all a great thing. In order for Torah to have its full effect, they needed to be cleansed of the physical food that they'd been eating up until that point. You need to make yourself more spiritual. The only way to do that is to get yourself there. They had to be starved to get there. And that's Vayari Vachad. They were starved from doing it. The Torah more talks about the Vayatzav Lavram. The Yatzav Lavram says Reb David Lover, the what's it called, the Lil of Rebbe, right? He used to be happy even when he had absolutely nothing to eat. Why? He said, Akarish Baruch if I'm hungry, that means I'm healthy. That means you gave me a healthy body. So he was happy even when he had nothing. And by the way, he's a person who actually had nothing, <laughs> who was starving, right, and still went through. You have something like that. There's another hint here, by the way, from this Pazik, which I'd never seen before. It's brought, though, by tons of Rishonim, the Rabbini Yol, the Rokeach, the Rapineach Raza, the Shach, and Rechaim Paltiel. They all say there are three different afflictions over here. Anoscha, Vaya'ancha, and Vayarivecha to refer to the three phrases that Esther used, fast for me, don't eat, don't drink, for three days. So when she asked Mordechai to tell the people to fast for three days, leading to where they finally got to eat, look at the wording again. You will consume and destroy as Haman. You'll destroy Haman. They all bring that remiss. Isn't that unbelievable? That's really an unbelievable resonance. And he says, Asher lo yadata. He did something that no one else ever tried to do. No one else ever thought of doing. And that's why Velo Yidaun has an extra nun at the end of it. It should be Velo Yadu. They didn't know what it is. What's Velo Yidaun? The Avos didn't know it. What's that nun? The nun sofis is the long 50 ama tree that Haman was hung, hanged on. Sorry, you hung a salami, but you hanged a person, right? So it was that 50 ama tree. The nun stands for the 50 and stands for that long pole that he was hanged on with his children. Isn't that crazy? What an unbelievable thing. And all the Rishonim bring it. Like I couldn't, every safer I was seeing, each one brought the exact same one right after the other. It's right there. Okay, we're not going to be able to finish this. I'm just going to go through one quick thing over here. Let's go to... And go to the Menachem Tzion on page 6. The Menachem Tzion says it's possible for someone to survive only with the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. through what comes out from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mouth, like Moshe Rabbeinu did in Harsinai for 40 days and 40 nights. The test is how much we're willing to attribute our lives to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's chesed. That's how the Menachem Tzion puts it. And most people fail that test. It's similar for people going on diets. When they simply cut out all glutens, all carbs completely, they can survive. But they need to make up the loss of vitamins in some other way. That's where Motza Piyashem comes in. You want to go ahead and believe that you don't need the bread? That's fine. Motza Piyashem has to take its place, whatever that means. A poor man came to the Kedusha Slavi and he asked him, he wanted him to judge his case. Please judge my case, he told the Kedusha Slavi. So the Rebbe agreed, and the poor man said that he had been poor his entire life. Poor his entire life. He had never had two cents to pull together. And he was, now he, was, he wanted to be Zoka to marry off his daughter. But he had no money to marry off his daughter. There was nothing he could do. Forget about a dowry. He couldn't pay for the wedding. There was nothing he was going to be able to do. Should Hashem not provide him with everything he needs for the chasana? Right? I, I don't have anything. How am I supposed to do this? I have to go to people and beg them for money? For money? Said the Kedusha's Levi. Hashem should do it. He made me. He made me the way that I am. I know that I haven't wasted my time and I haven't done anything wrong. So he should provide me with the money for the chasana. Rabbi Levi Yitzchuk agreed and gave him the psak din and a piece of paper, and he handed it to him that it should be paid by Hashem. He wanted to write it down. He wrote the whole thing down, and he gave it to him on that, on that piece of paper, that a Kaddish Baruch who must provide this man with the money he needs for that chasna. So the man was obviously holding on to it with dear life. You know, the Kaddish's lady gave him that, the psak, right? And he's walking. 
And he's just walking home. A huge wind came, knocked him on his face. The paper flew out of his hands and flew directly into the hands of a non-Jewish Poritz. Remember, it's a Hasidic story, so you need a Poritz somewhere. Okay, so the landowner, right? The non-Jewish landowner. He takes the piece of paper, literally, like, went right to him. Right? Walked right to him, like, almost like a Frisbee, like, going around, you know, straight to him. He picked it up, and he looked at it. He, and the man said, this, that's my paper. Please give me back my paper. And the guy said, I'm, I'm not giving you back the paper. I want you to tell me what it means. And he said, I can't tell you what it means. He's embarrassed now, you know? Like, this is an embarrassing thing. He said, I'm, I can't. I can't tell you what it means. He said, if you don't tell me what it means, I'm not giving it back to you. So the Poritz had another Jew around there. So he said, Jew, come over here. He had him translated. And he translated, HaKadosh Baruch who must give this man back, give this man all the money he needs for his, you know, for his daughter's chasna. And he said, well, if it came straight to me, then obviously I'm God's emissary. So he took money out of his pocket and gave him the money that he needed for his daughter's chasna. Which is amazing, by the way, that he had enough money on him to pay for a chasna in his pocket. Okay? This must have been an Israeli wedding, not an American wedding, I would assume. It's, it's got to be that way. But that's exactly what happened. That's the idea behind it. And that's the idea. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, Lo alechem levadai, means the chius of a person, the life of a person, the lifeblood. It has nothing to do with the bread he eats. It rather it has to do with his mazel and his koach. Every blade of, gra- gla- of grass has a koach, a malach up above that tells it to grow. And certainly a person does as well. There are other kochos that are in charge of those kochos. There are kochos in charge of kochos in charge of kochos. Malachim in charge of malachim in charge of malachim all the way up to the top. And that's what we call the motza pi Hashem. The mouth of a Baruch Hu that goes out that dis- decrees what every koach should do and how every koach should go about. And that idea is called achila. Understanding and coming to that point is it says about the Zakanim on Har Sinai. The Shlokalish quotes the Arizal. How can the spiritual Neshama be fed from something as physical as bread? How in the world could the Neshama live off of physical bread? That doesn't make any sense. Because even bread has Motza Pi Hashem. The word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming from the Dibur of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that sustains life, who commands bread to sustain life. And that command that God gave to bread in the beginning of time that allows bread to be able to sustain you is enough to be able to feed the Neshama as well. The Megalia Mukos quotes this on page 678. An unbelievable thing. The Baal Shem Tevadzan, when a person makes a bracha on the food, he's using Hashem's name on that food, that awakens the chiyos within the food, so when you eat it, the physical food sustains your body. And the spirituality within the food, the chiyos within it, sustains your neshama. The mun was a very spiritual food, but it was made a little bit physical so that the people would have something to put inside their mouths. Without the ruchni, however, the whole thing tasted like nothing, like air, because really that's what it was. The, that's why there were people who complained about it. And that's why this Pesach says, you don't live off of bread alone. You don't have that. I would just say from there, I think that proves they did not make a bracha on the month. There's a big machlokz about this between different achronim. What bracha did they make on the month? Did they make a bracha on the month? I think that proves it. The, spirit, the only reason why you would make a bracha on food is to awaken the chiyus within the food. The month, the chiyus didn't have to be awakened. It was their chiyus. It makes sense that the physicality was just a, a, a shell. And within was that chiyus. It didn't need to be awakened. So I don't understand why you would make a bracha. It seems to me it would be a bracha levatala. You don't need it in that case in order to awaken, to get your neshama, to get what it needs out of the, out of the food itself. I think that's the idea behind it. There's more over here. You can see it yourself. But guys, we'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos.